What do you want from God? And it's a rhetorical question if you want to answer it right now. That means I don't need to hear it. That means I want you to think about it. Like, what do you want from God? And I would suggest that you maybe write it down and put it in categories. This would be something that he want to give. Maybe the Ferrari something that he doesn't want to give. I don't know. Just testing him. But what do you want from God? And the, then the, the next question is, what does God want for you? And if you add another letter, from you. So what would God want to give you? And what does God require? Well, what we do is we go back to the Old Testament and we look into a book called Leviticus. If anybody has insomnia, open up Leviticus. And I promise you, you will be asleep by at least the second chapter. Then you got to wake up and read it again. You know why I know that? Is because that's what happened to me. In Leviticus, it talks about these laws that are given and these ways of life. And here's how they teach it in seminary. It's like uh, the community needed help, so God spoke and they wrote it down. The community needed help because those what they wrote down, they didn't follow. And so God spoke and they wrote it down. The community needed help. And here is one of those places. And uh, Leviticus chapter 26 just says this. And I'm, it, it, uh, it says blessings for obedience. And I'm going to start in verse 3. For if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you seasonal rains. Just think about that for a second. If you are obedient, God wants to shower upon us. Then it says this, the land will yield crops and trees of fruit will produce fruit. Your threshing floor seasons will overlap with grape harvest and your grape harvest will overlap with the seasons of planting. You will eat your fill and live securely in your land. So let me tell you what that means. That means if you get paid on the 1st and the 15th, money's going to come in on the 10th before you're empty. If you live like me by the 10th, all the money's gone and you're just praying that there's honey in the rock. Manna on the ground. And so this is by basically saying, no, your paychecks are starting to overlap because there's money left over. And there's still stuff in the offering because of obedience. It continues to say this. If I will give you peace in the land and you will be able to sleep with no cause of fear. I don't know if you guys know this. Sleep has become less and less for society since COVID. When you sit and listen to all what's being said about COVID and about the country and about the way things are and how the world is horrible and we're just all fallen, what's happening is less and less sleep because we go to bed anxious and frustrated and, you know, not content. But it says when you're obedient to God and put your faith in him to the unshakable God, he will bring you to a place of peace and no fear. I will rid the land of all wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with a sword. Wow, that's pretty crazy. We'll be handing out swords at the end of church. Five of you will chase down a hundred and a hundred you will chase down 10,000. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword. Today's sword comes from the word of God. Back then there was sword and farmers because everybody needed it. But we have a sword. And one day every knee will bow to the sword. 
and you will find peace in the sword and you will find provision in the sword and you will find overlapping harvests when we're obedient to the sword. And trust me, there's a lot of stuff in here that's controversial. But back in the day, in Jesus' day, some of this stuff was way progressive. Today, it looks out of this world. But this is the sword. And here's the thing. Mine doesn't have any coffee rings on it because I don't put coffee on it. I actually open it up. I have one in my car. I actually have two in my car because I do hospital visits. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm talking about if you have a sword, use it. Because if you're not fighting with the sword, you're not fighting at all. And that was free. That's not part of the sermon. God wants obedience. I mean, that's really my job. If all I was to do, if I was just to focus on my one job, it would be, I'm going to preach obedience from stage and I'm going to meet each and every one of you that want to meet during the week and I'm going to say, just be obedient. Just be obedient. Not to what you want, but to what God wants. So, and then if you're obedient, there's this thing called promised blessings that come from it. Obedience is the key though. How obedient are you really? I mean, do you fudge on your taxes a little bit? Do you take a few staples or, or paper clips from work? Or You guys all know you have a thing of post-its that you've taken, right? Because nobody buys them for home. I got them at the office. The point is, it's bigger than that. It's obedient in everything that you do. It's the key to spiritual growth, and it's a key to the rebuild. If we are going to rebuild the church, and I'm not talking about journey. We can build a little kingdom here, and that's great. Praise God. You know, we got seats filled. God is good. But that's not what we're talking about. We and this church are on a mission from God to build the church and to send people out into the world and love the world as missionaries, even if they're not going to this church anymore. Right? And so that's the mission that God has called us to. And then the vision is, as we start bringing people in, because here's what happens. People in this world come into church, and they're looking for something. And here's what we see. They're looking for love. Because this is a loveless world. And then what we want to do is love them until they can learn to love God and love themselves, and then go out and love this world. And when we do that, there's a vision. We want to, this is something new you're going to start hearing. This is the vision of journey. Take the mission. Now here's the vision. We want to create people that are passionate world changers for Jesus. We're going to rebuild the church on that vision. We're going to ask people to come in, open up the word of God, be obedient to the word of God, and find the passion, that love that will transform their lives so that they can change their world and watch people around them's world change. That's the goal, and that's how we're going to rebuild the church. So we're grateful that you're here today. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? We're so grateful that you are here. If you are outside, let's hear it from you. I love that group. We love you guys so much. And if you're online, I promise you there's a spirit in that's powerful. We'd love to see you every so often, but I know, uh, I know people are, are texting me and saying they're online. We're grateful. We'll be praying for you and what God wants to do. And I pray there's a movement of God within the internet to your home. So today we're going to open up the book of Haggai and finish this three sermon uh, 
this three-week sermon, and it's just a small book. And so if you know your Bible, I think Jeremy said it week one, it's two chapters back from Matthew. So you go back two chapters, and you'll find the book of Haggai. The best thing is just go to the table contents because it's really small, and you'll flip through it looking for a little bit. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to read the last few verses in it today. And I think we're going to get a lot out of it because... It brings something to light which we're not used to, which is trying to be obedient to God. But beyond that, there's blessings from that. So today as we close, there's really two parts to the sermon. The first part is to look inward, to look inward. I don't know if you guys know this, but God wants to do an inside work in you so that he can do an outside work in other people. Does that make sense? He wants to do something inside of you. And so we look in and we try and feel what God wants to do. And then we act upon what God is saying. And in Leviticus, which we read, it's the same kind of idea. What's defilement and, or sin and what's holiness? And we've got to come together and start raising up and really chasing after holiness. And then the second part of today's message is look forward to a coronation, and we'll talk about what a coronation is and how that makes sense. So here's what it says in Haggai uh, chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 10. It says, On December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. And so again, this is a prophetic word, and it's sent to uh, the group of people in that day, and there's stuff that we can draw from today that's prophetic as well. It says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robe, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew or wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it become holy? If this guy's walking around with this offering tray of meat that's been given to the Lord, if he just brushes up against something, does that make it holy? And the priest answers, no. So this is kind of an Old Testament parable helping us understand what God is trying to teach us today. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answers, yes. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we come before you today and I ask in your glorious name that you will meet us here. Holy Spirit, go over the internet right now. And go into people's houses and homes, onto their phones or wherever they're watching. And I pray for a huge spiritual revival and awakening. I pray for those outside to hear a deep, powerful message to draw them in. And I pray, God, that all of us will be working on the inside so that we can be part of God's rebuild. We claim this above all things and we praise you and thank you, Jesus. Speak to us all in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what's happening, this section. This is a parable. We see a lot of these with Jesus, but we see a few of these in the Old Testament. And he's trying to teach the priests, the pastors of the church, and he's trying to teach the congregation. So this prophetic guy comes in and says, Jeff, do you guys understand what's going on here? Haggai appropriately questions the priest about the transmission of holiness and defilement. And the priests answer correctly according to, to the law of Moses. The sword. It's not just like, yeah, it makes sense. That's what I feel. That's what they said on the news last week, so it should be true. 
No, it's from the law of Moses. It's what God spoke and was written down. And here's, in essence, what it means. So if you care about it or you don't, here's what it means. Holiness is not transmittable, but impurity is. Sin is contagious. So don't just think that you can be around holy people and it's going to be transmittable, but I promise you, you're around sinful people, it's going to touch you. And that's what Leviticus is talking about. That's what Haggai is talking about. And that's what the Bible is trying to teach us. Let me actually bring it into the 21st century so you guys can really understand this. A sick child cannot catch health from a healthy child. It's not possible. But a healthy child can become sick from a sick child. And that's what the principle of transmission is talking about. It's usually a one-way uh, a, a situation. I say usually, it's probably about 85% is usually one way, but there's a few instances. And if you want to live in the, the instances of the few, you're always going to struggle in life. Does that make sense? If you're always looking for a reason to say that's not true, you're going to struggle in the principles of God because there's always fringe stuff that we get caught up in. Well, what if? Well, what if you were just obedient? How would that be? All right, that's something completely different. Verse 14. Then it says, Haggai responded. That's how it is with the people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by sin. And so basically, these people have come back into the promised land, but everything they do is done by motives that are ill-gotten. They're not about God. They're about themselves. Remember chapter 1, Jeremy talked about they were there and they were building luxurious homes for themselves, making sure that they were comfortable and that they were safe and that their house looked good and the temple lays in ruins. And now, at the end of the chapter, they're like, listen, just because you're here in the promised land doesn't mean you're going to receive the promises if you don't do anything. Living in the holy land and giving offerings doesn't make you right with God. Living in the holy land and just giving a few bucks in the offering doesn't make you right. God would say, keep your offering and be more obedient and watch what I can do. Right? And so that, that's, that's what uh, Haggai is trying to communicate. Since their exile to Babylon, the people of Israel were focused, just get me back to the promised land. Just get me in that home or that apartment that I need. Just get me that new car. Oh, man, if I can get that job, woo! Yeah. Well, that was Ric Flair right there. You guys hear Ric Flair in there? If I can just get that job, everything would be good. That's human. That's not a bad objective that Israelites want to get back to the promised land. That's not a bad objective. Yet, it was the wrong thinking because once they got to the promised land, they thought everything was going to be okay. Okay, I'm here. I'm in the promised land. I should be good now. Well, you get into the home. You get into the job. You get into the new relationship, you know. I was going to say, you, you get rid of the kid, everything, whatever's happening. Sorry, Shel. My daughter's back from Chico, and we've got rid of her for a couple months, but she keeps coming back. And it's been a blessing, such a blessing. That's going to go good over breakfast, by the way. But let me give you an example, real-world example. I remember being locked up. 
And I thought to myself, if I could just get clean and sober, my life is going to change. True. 100% true. But here's the thing. As I got clean and sober, the phone would ring and I had about $75,000 in debt. And I'm calling the guy and I'm all excited because I got a couple of months of clean and sober. And I'm trying to live my life for God. And I'm opening up the Bible. And the creditor's like, I don't care if you're clean and sober. I just want my money. God bless you too, sir. And so you send them 10 bucks, whatever you can afford. The point is this, just because you get to that place doesn't mean that you're working in the promises and will of God. And that's what Haggai's trying to tell the community. He's trying to reach the priests that administered a lot of the people. He's trying to reach the people so that they can see how they can change in their life. Haggai is reminding them, just being in the promised land doesn't make you holy. You've got to do the work that's called by your sword so that you can get what's wrong in your heart right with God so God can get you right in your heart and so that you can live in holiness. And listen, I don't even know if we understand holiness because we don't live holy. I, when I say we, I'm putting myself in there. We, we don't understand holiness. And so we sit here and go, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. I, you know, I, I, I did some things, but just getting into church doesn't make you a churchgoer or a faithful Christian. It's the obedience. And from that, it keeps going. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. This is cool. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. He was actually studying to become the top dog in the Jewish community. Here's what he says. He says, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Just coming to church and letting me read a few Bible verses isn't going to get you right with God. Praise you, Lord. Three people clapped. I have said this literally a hundred times on stage, Wednesday and Sunday when we used to do Wednesday night. If I'm the only Bible verse you're hearing today, praise God, but you need it, you're on life support. You need to get out of the ER and into action and start becoming obedient and pick up your sword and start fighting the battles that God has called you. And then you will see God transform you and change you and you will be a part of the rebuild that God wants to do on the inside. Here's the thing about teaching. This is a whole nother thing. You know how much stuff hits the floor that never makes it into the sermon? A ton of stuff. You start putting verses down. You start getting quotes and all this stuff and it hits the floor. And you know what happens is it hits my heart and I grow immensely because I'm in the word going, man, this all can't make it into a 30 or 40 minute sermon. But man, it sure makes it into my heart. And I promise you, if you do the same thing, your heart will have that same change and transformation and hunger and passion that you can change the world in your life and watch the lives around you change. Verse 15, look what was happening before COVID. Oh no, look what was happening before you began to lay the foundation of the temple. Look what was happening. And so now he's trying to point us to what our life was like before and what it's gonna be like. So here he's saying, when you hope for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the rime press, you only found 20. I, God, not I, Jeff, I, God, sent a blight mildew hail to destroy everything you work so hard to produce even so 
you refuse to return back to me, says the Lord. Then it continues. Think about this. 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord was laid. Think about that day that you drew a line in the sand like I was just talking to one of my friends before service. I, she said, I drew a line in the sand and I'm going to trust Jesus and give it all to him 100%. Think about the day you make that decision and I'm talking about 100%, not 92%, not 85%, not 99%, 100%. Think about that day. That's what we're seeing here and, and, and watch what happens. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn before it's even planted. You will have, you have not yet harvested your grain, your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, your olive trees have not been produced, have not produced their crops. But from this day onward or from this day forward, I will bless you because of your obedience. God sees the heart God's favorite man in the Bible, a man after his own heart, wasn't a perfect man. We all know David, and we all know his story of murder, adulterer, and whatever else he was. Terrible parent. But God saw his heart because his heart was always ripe to get on his knees, ask for forgiveness, repent of his ways, and try and do things differently. And in that, the heart is willing because it's willing to say, I don't know everything, and I need help. God sees their heart change. And promises a future blessing to come. God uses real life experiences to humble us. I mean, literally, he's trying to humble somebody in this place right now. Online, there's someone crying out and wanting to know why their life sucks. And it's because God is trying to humble you to get on your knees maybe for the first time. God is speaking to someone outside in their circumstances and he's like, I'm just humbling you not because I don't love you. It's because I love you. I, I, I saw my wife talking to someone the other day and she's like, I'm holding you accountable because I love you. It's not because I don't love you. God uses these experiences to humble us. But God's people really don't learn from that. Not all God's people are like, what, you know, I hit rock bottom, and from that, I started digging my way out. But the only way that I dig my way out is I got on the foot of God. I got, I got my sword, and I started using it. Otherwise, I'd still be in a hole. And so, God doesn't always see people repent and turn. Most of the time, people are in their biggest hole. They just turn their back on God. Well, God doesn't love me. He's obviously not trying to save me. It's like, well, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you a boat. Uh, you know, I, I, I sent you a raft, and you keep rejecting it. Rock bottom doesn't always bring us to God. I see, people, I see people run from it every day. Blessed are those who recognize their need for God and see their experiences, their humbling experiences that bring them an opportunity for real change and real connection to God. Blessed are those that see their need for God and see the opportunity to make a change for God. And in that, you see God transform and change their life. But yet, some still struggle and still blame and never get to the other side. God's promises is a blessing built on prioritizing obedience. 
him first and his kingdom and his causes. That's the priority. This blessing will not come immediately, so don't get discouraged. Here's what everybody wants. I heard the message, wave your hand, put it online, put it outside, and all my problems go away. That's not what I'm saying here. It's trust in the process. I don't like the process. Well, trust in the process, and I promise you'll get through the other side. And all of you can think of that time that you got to the other side. You just got to get out of the way today so that you can get to the other side. And then he says, from this day, if you're obedient, I'm going to bless you. In the Bible, the reason why I say it doesn't happen uh, uh, instantly, in the Bible it talks about the, the farm. There's a lot of sowing and reaping and farming. And, you know, there's a couple of farmers in here, a couple of bad ones, but there's a couple of good ones too. Um, there, there's some farming principles that we see in the Bible, and here's why. Because it takes time to harvest and to plant and to sow and put all this in so that what you do today will pay off in three to six or nine months or a year when you put the work in. My friend Richard and me, before I became a pastor, planted avocado trees in his, in, in, in his, his farm out there, right? Well, it took three years before them to have any kind of fruit that you could use. We ate the fruit for the first two years. The four avocados that came out. But it takes time. But if you give it time, God wants to respond to that obedience over time. And there's this moment in Jesus where he's having his feet washed and he says this to the church or to the people listening. He says this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them, which is be obedient, be patient, and trust that this will happen over time. So now the, the text kind of changes. It's we're looking inward. Man, am I holy or if I'm living in defilement? And now I've got to look forward to this coronation. So let's talk about that as in the next few verses. We're looking toward coronation. And all that means is a crowning or anointing. It's a blessing from God from the most high in regards to Christianity or church. So he says, on that same day. So now he's having a second revelation. So this prophet Haggai woke up in the morning on the 18th, and he says, man, I'm feeling this, this message from God. I'm going to go and give it to the people. And now after lunch in his afternoon siesta, he has another revelation. And here's what the revelation says. This sent the second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the powers of foreign kingdoms and I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and the riders will kill each other. Praise God. Sounds like a fun afternoon. But here's why this is written. Just like we, church... Inside, outside, and online, just like we, the remnant people that have come back to the promised land are a small group of people, and they don't feel very strong. They're not this powerhouse of Israel like it was pre-COVID. They're just a remnant left, and God is going to use this remnant to rebuild the temple and rebuild the kingdom of God and rebuild Israel. And that's what he's trying to do. And so he's trying to encourage this group of people to say, hey, be strong. Listen, you're on the winning team. You might be small and mighty, but you are on the winning team because God teams always win. Yeah. It's a good golf club. 
And all he's saying here, if you're reading this, he's trying to show his sovereignty, his power, and his authority that he installs kings and queens. He installs rulers. He is the one that installs stuff. And so when we are battling that, it's like you're fighting God because he's the one that installs. He's the one that has the power to overthrow foreign governments. He's the one that can make people fight each other because he does it so that the kingdom of God can reign. He's the one that brought him into Babylon and now he's brought him back and rebuilding the temple just like he's the one that's rebuilding the church right now. And all we have to do is listen and let his leading lead us to where we're supposed to be. And then it brings up this shaking thing again and I'm glad because last week, man, the, the spirit of God was so powerful last week. I, I kind of walked through the shaking but we, we, we talk about the shaking and here's what I, I want you to know about the shaking. Things are shaking. If, if, it, it, I'm coming up on two years, no news. I, I, it's, it's useless to my heart. It's, it's not. So... Hi, my name is Jeff, and I'm a newsaholic, and I'm not watching it anymore. But if you look online or if you look in the world, things are shaking. And what he's saying is, I am going to shake the heavens and earth, and all the things that are shaking and falling apart are, are going to break down. Those things are doing it intentionally because we are to cling to that that is unshakable. And so if your life is built on things that are shakable, it's going to collapse. Cryptocurrency? I don't know. Kingdom currency? I know. Yeah. I'm not saying sell your stuff in crypto. I'm just saying what's unshakable. There's one thing that's unshakable. That one thing is God. And so uh, last week I talked about August 29th, this guy named James came to my house and I was telling him every time I get on my knees, I feel the ground shaking. And a couple weeks ago, I was on my knees and I'm, I, I got up and I'm like, did you guys feel that? And everybody's like, what are you talking about? The things are shaking. You've got to slow down your life and see what's shaking. So here's my challenge this week. If you don't believe that, get on your knees. And if you can't get on your knees, go to your prayer closet. And if you can't go to your prayer closet, lay in bed because I know you're doing that. <laughs> and ask God what things are shaking and what can I cling to? in my life to the unshakable. I'm challenging you. I'm gonna let that sit for a second. Because when you do that, you will see that those that are obedient receive the blessings from obedience. There's blessings that come from obedience. That's what this text is talking about. And here's verse 23. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and I will make you like a signet ring. And I'm going to put up a ring there in just a second, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, I the Lord of heaven's army, have spoken, and that closes this book. When you are obedient, things happen in your life for those that are obedient. When you're disobedient, things happen in your life for those that are disobedient. If you're a parent or a child, which you have been one of both, I'm sure, or, or wanna be, it happens. When you're obedient, something happens. When you're disobedient, other things happen. That's ultimately, but here's the thing. 
This signet ring is a mark of authority. I think we have a picture of this actual signet ring. It's actually something, and he says this. He says, uh, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, I'm going to make you like the Lord's signet ring. He's going to make him that looks like this. This is actual crown prince ring. And he says, I'm going to make you like my crown prince upon this earth. This word also is not just for Zerubbabel, but it's for those that are obedient in the kingdom of God. It's obedience that gets us to this place. And this is where the signet ring comes from. This is Charles. And he's been wearing this ring a lot longer than he thought he was. The signet ring and what happens to like Prince Charles was a long time ago. I guess he's now King Charles. What happened to us when he was a boy, he received a crown. He received a throne. He received scepters. He received all this stuff that put him as royalty. Then he becomes the line of the next king. And so do his sons. And that ring means something. And so God is telling us when you allow God to reign in your life and you are obedient to him, he wants to make you like Zerubbabel. He wants to put you in this place of authority and and, and, in this place of experiencing what God has. And you have that little pinky ring that means everything. When the queen died, everybody knew the guy wearing the ring was going to be the next king because it was given to him a long time ago. Listen, our king died and everybody who claims yes to Jesus gets that ring and you're promised that same heritage, that same inheritance for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't wear much jewelry. I haven't taken my ring off maybe but once since I've been married. I don't wear much jewelry, but I would rock a pinky ring for Jesus Christ. Because that knows that's the promise that God has put in me. And so that's what we want to see happen today. So it goes back to the original question today as we get ready to close out today. What do you really want out of God? Like, what do you really want? If you were just honest and just started writing stuff, I need a new car, I need a new job, uh, an obedient spouse, you know, better body, whatever you need, right? Is that what God wants for you? Or is there things in your life that he's trying to humble you so that you can get to that place? But here's the question that I, I really feel like God's challenging me to explain to you. What does a blessing look like for a Christian believer? Someone that lives by the sword of God. What does that look like? Because I don't know if it looks like what we think it looks like. Oh, blessed life is Spanish Hills membership and, you know, Ferraris and Mercedes and the hottest of everything. I think that's different. So what does that look like? Does, does God want to take away all your trials and tribulations? Does God want to take all the oppression away? Does God want to feed all the homeless? Does God want to do all the injustices that you're against? Does that what God wants to do? Does God want to give you all the money in the world? Does God want to give you all the power and authority in the world? No, that's what Satan does. God's different. 
God's the opposite of that. He wants you to live a blessed life for him and to live for Jesus Christ. And in that, with that little pinky ring, he wants you to walk around going, I'm proudly an heir of the throne of Jesus Christ because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And this signifies that one day I am going to be crowned in his name. A blessed life is inviting God into all of it, every aspect, every aspect of your life, every part of it, the good parts and the bad parts. You know the stuff that you're embarrassed of? He wants to get into the beautiful things that you have, but he also loves ugly because he's not afraid of ugly. He wants to get into the ugly parts of your life. He wants to get into those posts, those places of sadness, those broken places so that you can see happiness and, and joyfulness out of that. He wants to get into the horrible. You know the horrible things that have happened to you in life? Someone right now online is broken because of the horrible things and can't get out of their own way. But on the other side, there's something wonderful when you got that signet ring that says, I'm a follower, because God wants to get you through the horrible and into the wonderful. And it might only happen in heaven, but it will happen. So if we just turn 30 pages, literally 30 pages in my Bible, to Matthew chapter 5, this is a place, it's called Beatitudes, and the actual word Beatitudes says, the state of the utmost bliss, it's a reward, so this actually says, this is the attitude of a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like, the Beatitudes, and it starts Matthew chapter 5, maybe you've heard it, the NLT writes it a little different than maybe you've learned it, but I think it really meets us well as we're trying to live in the blessings of God. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 5. This is the utmost bliss and reward as a believer. Blessed are those, bless, God bless, sorry, I was used to the old way. God blesses those who are poor in spirit, that translation says, and realize their need for him, for their, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When I realize the brokenness and, 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 and the, the painfulness of life and I see that God's doing something in my life that I can't stand, blessed are those for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The signet ring is on and it's their life to live. Blessed are those who ugly cry. That's called mourning. And ugly cry for most people we never see because their life is broken inside. And so they come in to the church and to life and put on this happy face like everything's okay. But blessed are those who mourn when you really ugly cry and you let it out for you will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble. Woo, Ric Flair. We are not humble today. We are far from humble. We are far from humble. For they will inherit the whole earth. If you want the whole earth to change, if you want to be a world changer, get on your knees and humble yourself before the Lord and watch the world follow you. But if you want to be like the world, just be like the world. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are those who hunger for thirst and justice, not for what you are justice and hungry about, but for what the kingdom of God is, which is widows and poor and the less than, those that don't have the ability to fight for themselves. That's what the Bible talks about. Look at Isaiah chapter 58. That'll tell you what the mission statement should be for those that hunger and thirst, for those that are human trafficked. 
for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful. If you're living in mercy, you will be shown mercy. If you are a merciful person, you will not be eager to slap people around with your will and your way. You will show mercy and then you will be shown mercy. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure, who are ready, are holy, wanting the, 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 the true aspect of God, for they will see God. When you don't hear God and see God and feel God and experience God, there's something that's heart, something wrong in your heart, and you've got to go and say, God, help me speak to my heart so I can see you, Lord. Blessed are those who work for peace. We are to be called peacemakers. Let me say that again. Christians that have a signet ring that put Jesus Christ first are to be called peacemakers. Why? Well, it says this, for they will be called children of God. And the last one says, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It continues to say in the Bible, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you wear a signet ring. Be happy about that. Be happy, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So you, if you are not being persecuted and mocked for your faith and you aren't receiving it and becoming a peacemaker, you're really not living the blessing and the life blessed by God because you're fighting with people instead of blessing them and becoming a peacemaker. As you can see, a blessed life, the one that God wants to give you, isn't seem like a worldly blessing at all. It seems tough. It's not perfect. It's living for the one who is perfect. God first, obedience above my will and my wants, and that guarantees me the highest blessing in heaven might not look like the highest lifestyle on earth. The best blessing in all of Christianity is this. When Jesus came into the world, he changes everything. Jeremy said this at the end of his message in, in uh, chapter 1, the beginning week 1. He said this, Haggai chapter 1 verse 13. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people the message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. And it followed, if you're obedient and you live for me, he says, I am with you. The question then Jeremy posed was, are you with him? He's with you. Most of you got to pull them out of the trunk or the glove box because he's not really with you. He's just riding with you going, hoping you're blessing what I'm doing, God. But here's even better blessing. God not only wants to be with you, God doesn't only want to bless with you, he wants to live with you for eternity. Man, I can't even handle living with some on this world, but God wants to live with you in eternity. And all you gotta do is pray, so let's pray. Father, if there's someone here today that needs Jesus, all they gotta do is confess that Jesus is Lord. And so if you're here today, if you're online, if you're outside, all you gotta do is say, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross for me. And you rose three days later for me so that I can be with you in eternity. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now and teach me how to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Before I get off the stage, I want to say this. This is the moment when God starts to work. That moment before worship, the moment there's an opportunity. You, if you accepted Jesus online or outside or inside, take that card and let someone know. You can't just do it on your own. You need other people. But I want to close with this. God wants us to be passionate world changers. God wants us to be obedient to Christ and the church and his causes. God wants to rebuild the church by rebuilding you from the inside out so that you cling to what's coming to you, this coronation, by looking to the promises that are written in his word each and every day. When we look to the promises and live for the promises and we live in obedience, we live a life of blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing because we know who Christ is. He is the first and he is the last. He is the one who is at the beginning and he is going to be at the one that is at the end. And all you and I need to do is celebrate him. So let's stand up and worship the kingdom of God today.